Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to The Moon Underwater, part two of Barry Glendenning's Dream Pub. Barry is a sports journalist and broadcaster and podcaster of great renown, uh, working for The Guardian for 20 years. You will have heard him on The Guardian Football Weekly, but if you've seen him anywhere, you've probably seen him in a pub because he is one of the great, if not the great, pubsmen of his generation, or indeed any generation, Um, Barry, before we get back to your pub, we do have to uh, solve the riddles set to us by the sphinx that is the lovely Robin Allender in the Moon Underwater pub quiz. But I can't wait to hear a little bit more about what your pub's going to look like. So, Robin, get us off these ambidextrous tenterhooks. (laughs) Thanks, John. Yes, this week's Moon Underwater pub quiz was all about your left and your right. And question one was, new coins are being minted for Charles III as we speak. But on these new coins, will Charles face to the left or to the right? So, Barry, what are you saying? I'm saying to the right, because I think the Queen faced to the left and he's gone the other way. Interesting. John? Well, he's facing to his right and our left. Looking at it, which way is he facing? Left. Right. Oh, sorry. I've just taken a 20p out of my pocket. She's facing to the right, so he's going left. The correct answer is is left. Yes, it's um, in a tradition dating back to Charles II, the direction in which the head faces alternates between successive monarchs. So because Elizabeth II faced right, Charles III will face left. And do you know about the whole Edward VIII thing? He, he was looking up. <laughs> No, he insisted he wanted to face left like his predecessor because it was his better side. So he, wow, he said, surely you just get the coin maker to put your better side on your other side. He should have thought of that. Yeah. Uh, But no coins are actually released into general circulation during his reign. The the threepenny bit is very, very rare. General circulation. I said, John, general circulation. I knew you were going to say that. So I did. I did. I did say general. If you are ever browsing some coins from the first half of the 20th century in 1933, Penny and the Edward VIII threepenny bit are the absolute. Very, very valuable. 
valuable. Very valuable. They're the worldies. Yeah. But yes, so, but when George VI came onto the throne, he kind of returned to the tradition as if Edward VIII had faced right and he faced left, which meant Elizabeth II faced right, which means Charles III will face left. Thanks to uh, my nephew Bobby for that question and to Guardian's Notes and Queries uh, for that. So that's a, that was a very well done if you got that at home. Question two. How many of the Beatles were left-handed, Barry? Uh, I haven't a clue. I know Paul McCartney was left-handed, so I'm going to go one. I'm not, I am also left-handed. Are you? Interesting. And left-footed. Yeah. John, what are you saying? Well, I'm right-handed, but I play golf left-handed, so Do I'm you? also cool. See, I'm left-handed, John, and I've just taken up golf again, having played it as a kid. And I play right-handed. Well, holy s, bloody yeah. hell! I think that's a whole other podcast, mate. Yeah. Would well, you want to know a fun fact about England cricketer James Anderson? Yeah, your your close personal friend. He bowls right-handed. He bats left-handed, but he plays golf right-handed. Wow, Crikey. John, what's what's your answer for the Beatles? I'm, I'm saying two. Two. That's very, very good because it is two. And what you're talking about is actually very interesting because Paul, as you said, is left-handed. But so is Ringo. Ringo is left-handed, but he plays right-handed. His grandma, Annie, who Ringo called the voodoo queen of Liverpool, she was a very superstitious... Granny Annie. Granny Annie, she's a very superstitious woman, believed it was bad luck to be left-handed and took it upon herself to perform an exorcism on Ringo when he was a child so that he would start using his right hand. So he does drum right-handed... But he kind of leads with his left hand, which is why he has such kind of unique style. So he kind of starts fills with his left hand and things like that. I know you're both very young men, but I'm old enough to have grown up going to school and being forced really? to write with my right hand and being physically assaulted for using my left hand. I met someone the other day who had a similar experience at a Catholic school of being told they had to do everything right-handed and... They're 29. Wow. Crazy. So our last question in the Moon Underwater pub quiz, can you name a country in Europe other than the UK or Ireland in which they drive on the left? Barry? No, I can't. I can't think of one. <laughs> okay. Fair. John? Well, I know Sweden used to be left, and then quite interestingly, they changed to right overnight. There's an interesting documentary about Sweden. So I'm going to go on the basis of that um, Norway and uh, Finland. It's Malta. Ah. Malta and Cyprus. Great quiz. I love a quiz which is based on quite simple terms. It's left or right. Um, but Barry, we're about to get another choice from you, but I think it's time we address the actual visage of your dream pub. You, you say that you only go to one pub regularly at the minute in Brixton that shall remain nameless, but you're a man who's been to many pubs. Talk us the outside first, please. Right. Well, I'd never read George Orwell's The Moon Underwater until this morning. In fact, I'd never heard of it until you dreamt up this podcast. Uh, I'm not, I I'm, suspect I'm, I'm far less well read than both of you. But uh, I read George Orwell's Moon Underwater article today and I loved it. And my local pub almost is it, uh, remarkably. But I think one of the first things he says in, in his article is it, it's not on a main thoroughfare. It's on a back street. 
so that the drunk people can't find it. And that's very important for me. I don't want drunk blow-ins just crashing my vibe in this pub. So my moon of the water, my pubs, it's in a city, a big city, but it's in a suburb of Brixton, for example, but it's on a back street. And my pub, which I won't name, but we've already established, opens at two o'clock and is near a very famous skate park, <laughs> is also quite near uh, the Brixton Academy uh, music venue. But remarkably, more often than not, if there's a gig on in the Brixton Academy, every other pub in Brixton fills up with punters, you know, having their pre-gig pints. But ours doesn't often, unless it's like, uh, an old band you will often see uh, a few weeks ago ian brown played there so i walked in and and there was loads of old men who should know better with, with paul <laughs> weller haircuts the wellens as they might be yeah wellens <laughs> yeah that's very good i hadn't heard that i'm fascinated by the there's a lot of talk about the wisdom of crowds but i'm fascinated by the thickness of crowds and I think it applies to London and big cities especially, is that thing of just stepping back one or two streets from the main road, the quality of everything increases, not least the quality of the air, because the pollution goes through tunnels in the main streets. Well, Brixton High Street is, I believe, the most polluted high street in the UK. And the Weatherspoons in Brixton High Street, which is called the Beehive. I haven't been in a huge number of Weatherspoons, but I can't imagine there are too many worse than that one. But that's always jam-packed on the night of a gig at the Academy. And if people just took their map, Google Maps out and went, oh, there's this lovely pub that's yes, less than yes, 10 yes, minutes walk yes. away, uh, they would have such a better night out. Mm. Yes, but surely what technology has given us in the form of Google Maps or TripAdvisor or online reviews is the ability to go, right, we've got a gig at Brixton Academy, we've got to go for a drink first, where's nice? What's nuts is that the Weatherspoons is as close as the amazing pub you're talking about. And I can totally understand if someone's going to Weatherspoons for price reasons, if you just spent 40 quid on a gig ticket, you might want to send. Well, no, the, the Weatherspoons, to be honest, isn't that much cheaper than the pub well, I exactly. go to. It just happens to be near the tube station. Yeah. It's on the way, because people, crowds are thick. Because <laughs> they go what's where it's in front of them, where's easiest. It's like when you're meeting up with a group of friends and they say, well, let's go here because it's easiest. It's like, I don't care about easy. Mm. I care about taking an extra two and a half minutes to go somewhere really nice. To be honest, lads, I've been that soldier as well, if it's going to a match or a gig or whatever. Uh, I, I remember a couple of friends of mine from Burr years ago. They came over to London to, to go to a rugby match at Twickenham, and they were staying with me. So I, I told them how to get to Brixton from the airport. And I said, give me a shout when you get here. And they rang me from the Weatherspoons. And I was just like, get out of there as fast as you can. <laughs> so what does the outside of the pub look like? <laughs> right. So I walk around the corner. There's a chip shop on the way, which I will visit on my way home. And ideally, the chip shop will be owned by a Scotsman because their chip shops are much better than everyone else's. And then the pub... It will be Victorian. It will have a, a tile facade. 
it will be a listed building, which means if it isn't a pub, it can't be anything else. So it has to stay open. So that's that's the pub. It has a, a, a tiled, ornate tiled facade. And it's not too well lit because if it's too well lit, it will attract people. I, I don't want too many people in this pub, as I may have stressed already. And ideally, it will be the, on the corner of two streets. So it's it's not on the street. It's 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 on a corner. Mm. Have you been to the King's Arms and RuPaul Street? I don't think I have. It's near Waterloo. I think if you went to that pub, you would be getting an awful lot of what you're after here. Right. What do you think, Robin? Yeah, I was thinking that, and I was also thinking because I was in Bedford the other day. The Wellington Arms is on the corner, and it's back street. And it, it, yeah, I was visualizing that in my mind. But it's it's a very. This is not a criticism at all. This is a very London sort of uh, London. What's, what's the word for? What's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say London centric. Well, I, I have no problem with no, with no, no. I'm not London-y. saying you should have, but it's not like you're you're not sort of yearning for the pubs of Burr. No, no. Uh, the thing, the pubs of Burr. I love the pubs of Burr. I absolutely love them. But if you go to a Burr pub Monday to Friday, chances are it will be empty. Have you read uh, Twenty Thousand Streets Under the Sky by Patrick Hamilton? No, he's one of the great. London pub writers of the sort of is it forties and fifties, Rob? Yeah, maybe thirties. Yeah, thirties and forties. But the Evening Bell sounds a little bit like what you are describing, which is uh, where one of the characters works. I'm really into this pub, Barry. I want to go there, and I think it. I think it's quite an autumnal winter pub. The idea of just having to be quite close to it to see... It needs to be dark in the street with low lamplight. Is there a bit of fog knocking about? Well, I, ideally there'd be fog. Mm. I don't know if I'm like any of your other guests insofar as the pub I'm describing is more or less the pub I drink in, but with added improvements. Mm. I get the impression not all of your guests are as fixed on one local pub as I am. But the older I get, like I used to be mad into pub crawls and trying different places, but now I'm just set in my ways. I like my creature comforts and I like everything just so. So you go into this pub, it's it's not brilliantly lit. Loads of people don't even know it's there. But you go in and hopefully there'll be a roaring fire, log fire, to, to greet you if you're cold or if it's wet. Okay, when, when you... When I take you, and I'm going to take you, and I think Robin's going to come along as well to the King's Arms on RuPaul Street, you are going to come face to face with this pub. <laughs> um, Barry, we have to take a quick break away from the interior of your wonderful pub with its tiled facade, its backstreet setting, its suburban but city um, location, chip shop nearby, brackets Scottish. <laughs> Um, not too well lit. Oh, oh, and sorry, just one other thing. Mm. There has to be curtains to hide your afternoon drinking shame. Yeah. Mm. Or, curtains or frosted glass. Yeah. I'd much rather curtains than frosted glass because frosted glass always makes me think they're trying to hide something, so it's probably not the sort of place I want to go in because what if they deck me? Are you much of a spirit drinker, Barry? Because your next two choices are spirits or liqueurs. Now, 
when I was picking my spirits, I didn't know if mixers slash soft drinks slash a big bottle of cheap lemonade are implied. So I've gone for spirits that can be quaffed without the need for a mixer. But are am I are mixers there? Yes, I think mixers do tend to reveal themselves because it would be pretty harsh if someone wanted a gin and tonic to to force them to use one of their choices for tonic. So it's assume that mixers will reveal themselves. Well, I I worked on the presumption that mixers wouldn't reveal themselves. So I've gone for my my first spirit is, is technically a liqueur. I've gone for an apple sour's. Really? Wow. wow. Yeah. That is the last thing I was expecting to come out <laughs> of your mouth. <laughs> of all the drinks now, in the world. Yeah. <laughs> now, the reason I've gone for an apple sours is I'm not a spirit. I don't go for the top shelf. Generally, if I'm reaching for the top shelf, things have gone wrong and I should probably be at home. But I'm all for the idea of tequila or the idea of Sambuca, but I don't like them. But back in the days when I was young and vibrant and relevant enough to go to to nightclubs, I used to go to the Swan in Stockwell, uh, which is a big Irish nightclub opposite Stockwell Tube Station. That was where I was introduced to these shots called apple sours. And if anyone, if you've never had one, you know those apple drops you used to get in a, you know, you'd go to a sweet shop in the old days, and buy a quarter pound of apple drops or something. It's basically liquidized them, but with quite an alcoholic kick. So I'm going to go for them, uh, 15% proof. Just if if things are slowing down and we need to get the vibe going, everyone knock back a couple of apple sours, mainly because it's one of the very few shorts I can knock back without immediately vomiting it back up again. Yeah. I love the way sours sours are spelt with a Z at the end. It's a yes, lovely yes, touch. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I can see I've I've for uh, maybe for the first time tonight I've caused shock and perhaps a little consternation in the moon underwater camp. I think it's the kind of thing I would absolutely. Love. I've never had it, but I'm surprised John hasn't had it because he got you've got a very sweet tooth. Well, I'm just trying to look up in my mind. I had a thing that we discussed on here before in Edinburgh, which is cans of those American, like, hard Alco Pops. Yeah. But there's a certain brand that's quite notorious. It's called something like 8K or something. I'm not sure what it is. But they come in flavours like Blue Fountain. They sound like vape juice. And there's one called, like, Red Rooster... And there is a, a sort of sour apple one, and they're, I think, 8 and 9%, and they're 500 mil cans. We had an evening in Edinburgh on them, because we found this newsagent that just had every single flavour. And they are quite delicious. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. you're aware that you're essentially drinking very delicious battery acid <laughs> i just like the idea of like a kind of raymond chandler book about you know a private eye or something and instead of drinking whiskey he drinks apple sours <laughs> you know, something like that pretty good no it's 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 a left field choice and i'm sure i'll be pilloried for it but 
I did it all. I, I could have had a few. I mean, I, I possibly had an amaretto in there. Oh, I love an amaretto. Um, but only after a curry for me, with the bill. Right, okay. Um, but I'm, I'm not much of a top-shelf guy, so... And I, I think an apple sours is something everyone could get on board with. So you're having apple sours as your first, and is your second amaretto? No, my second is... So, as I say, I'm, I don't go for the top shelf too often, but on the rare occasions I do, I generally go for a brandy, mm. like a, an old brandy now and again. Uh, very, very occasionally. And you, again, if I'm if I'm drinking brandy, I should have gone home two hours ago. So I thought, if I'm going to have a brandy, I'm going to have the most expensive brandy available in my pub. So I've gone for a, and a, pardon my pronunciation here, an Henri IV Dugaglong Hentage Cognac Grand Champagne. Mm. I'm going to ask you to repeat that, please. Right. And Henri IV Dudugnon Heritage Cognac Grand Champagne, uh, which is a brandy that's aged for 100 years. <laughs> it comes in a decanter that weighs eight kilos and is adorned with sterling platinum, 24 karat gold and 6,000 diamonds. And a bottle of that, will set you back between $1.5 and $2 million. Whoa. And I've got to have a bottle of that behind the bar. God, if you're lucky if I earn that in a week. So, uh, yeah, that's I'm going to have that. The bottle looks fantastic. It yeah. costs a shitload of money, <laughs> and I want one in my pub. Brilliant. Okay, I'm looking at it now. It It's like a cross between... It looks like one of the dragons out of Game of Thrones, doesn't it? A bit. Well, it looks like if a bottle of cognac could be the Terminator coming out of that <laughs> sort of liquid metal. Um, I love the fact that you've gone for something really insane because mostly people choose just sort of, you know, drinks they'd like or drinks they've heard of or drinks their friends would like. No one really goes for n- nut stuff. In fact, I think this might be... Well, it's certainly our first bottle that's over two grand. <laughs> I think... Uh, so Jody... I've, got, I've got in with a bullet for <laughs> one and a half million dollars. <laughs> yeah, Jody Kidd may have picked one bottle of very expensive red wine. I'll have to say... Barry, given its price and its provenance, the bottle is remarkably tacky. <laughs> well, that's the it's way. Really oh, no, it's gross. That's the way. It's you horrendous. Can't afford taste. It's it's like you've sold your house to a Russian billionaire and he's done up your bedroom, <laughs> and you see a photo of it on Rightmove and you think, "What is that? Silver carpets?" Um, but I would I would taste it. I'm not sure that I would be as excited by. The potential flavour as if I was being handed a sort of a dusty bottle of 200-year-old Armagnac with a sort of slightly mouldy cork and a, and, a, and a foxed label that I was told was worth 500 grand. Yeah. It looks a bit like the sort of, the sort of drink like Jay-Z might, might buy into, might buy shares in the company. No, I'm. I know that, and it's gaudy, it's tacky, but I'm having it. I want it. Fair enough. And it's my pub. So, how much is it going to be a shot if it's two million 
for what 500 mils uh do you know something i think it's something i'd pay for and it would it would only come down during lock-ins so the ashtrays would be out everyone's got a fag on we're having a lock-in it's me and my my closest friends come on lads we'll have a little sip i'm, I'm not i'm not charging anyone for that in fairness, it's a litre bottle, so it's like the ones you get in Duty Free, which are slightly bigger. Yeah. <laughs> so that's got to be the, like, that's like 250 grand of the prices you're getting extra. But I do like that. I've got a lot of time for that. After sort of our minds have been quite confused by the contrast of apple sours and Henry IV Dunion <laughs> Heritage Champ- Cognac Grand Champagne, um, I think we need to sort of fill our brains with more wholesome pursuits. So shall we enter the Moon Underwater Pub Library for this week's tome? Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Yes, thanks, John. This week in the Pub Library, it's a novel called An Evening of Long Goodbyes by the Irish author Paul Murray. Uh, Paul Murray has written three novels, and they're all really really good the other ones are skippy dies and the mark and the void an evening of long goodbyes is his first novel and it's very funny whenever anyone asks for you know recommendations for a funny book i always suggest this and it's about a wealthy layabout the bertie wooster-esque charles hithliday and his sister bell who live in their parents crumbling mansion on the outskirts of dublin and charles drinks gimlets which is gin and lime juice you a fan of gimlets john yeah, I preferred gin and lime cordial, mm. which was a, a sort of a step on the way to what I called a perfect martini. Right. Which was gin, sweet vermouth and lime cordial in equal measure, shaken over ice and drunk before the end of a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. John. I feel this, your pain. That was very funny, John. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. Charles drinks gimlets all day and watches old films, often without the encumbrance of trousers, which is my favourite sentence in the book. And much of the comedy comes from Charles being a kind of fish out of water in the modern world. So I heard about this book because I went to Bristol Uni with Paul's brother, Chris. who's a very good egg. So if you're listening, hi, Chris. Anyway... In this scene, Charles goes out to the Greyhound races with Belle and her rough diamond boyfriend, Frank, and they drown their sorrows in a somewhat sketchy pub afterwards. And Barry, I was going to ask you to help out and play Frank in this scene. Do you, ha- do you have the text there? I have the text here, Robin. I, w- I was told there isn't general widespread confidence in your ability to do a Dublin accent. Well, I could do it, but I just... I just don't think it would be very good. I can do it. Now, there are two distinct Dublin accents. There's a North Dublin accent and a South Dublin accent. They couldn't be more different. I've done, I haven't read this book. I plan to read it now. You've, it's been drawn to my attention. But I have established, using the power of my mind, that Frank, whose part I'm reading, is a North Dubliner. Right, okay. Um, I also think his... His words would be quite funny, read in a South Dublin accent. Okay. I'd also like to hear your attempt at a Dublin accent, (laughs) but I appreciate 
because I've been so entertaining, and mm. this is very possibly going to be the first ever six-part movie <laughs> that we are up against the clock. So okay. if you read your bit, right, uh, I will then go straight in with my bit in a, a North Dublin accent as Frank. Okay, brilliant. Okay, so I'll start off. Here we go. The pub was seedy and glum, and my white wine arrived in a diminutive bottle with a screw-off lid. My sister joined Frank in a consolatory Guinness, and as they clinked glasses I looked about at my fellow drinkers. Was I the only one in evening wear? These chaps were a uniformly rough-looking lot, and many of them, I realised, were directing unfriendly stares at me. Quite an ambience, this place, I laughed nervously. We should do this more often. I like the company of the working man. Good, honest folk, enjoying their time for reflection after a hard week in the jar factory. And then Frank says, You always get a deadly scrap in here. Last week, me and me mate, right? Saw these two scumbags we know and we go up to them. Strain with the dodge and bop. I love one of them. And then I see his mate's got my mate on the ground and he's stamping on his head. So I grab this bottle and smash Right between the fucking eyes. The boat and fucking legged it. I was just laughing. <laughs> That's one of the there. See that sitting at the bar, the poxy little fuck. That's one of the we done. I don't mind him, sure. He's only a Anyway, if there was anybody to have Charlie and me to protect you, wouldn't you? Ha <laughs> ha, I said, but this was my cue to go. Bell smirked triumphantly as I put on my top coat and hastened outside in a cold sweat to hail a cab. Very, that was a brilliant performance. So good. That was fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) And also, here in the uh, here in the correct realm, I don't know if you noticed. Uh, Barry, but fireworks were going off yeah. it, through one of the beautiful stained glass windows behind you. Yes. And uh, created quite the scene as you were coming out with some of those expletives. It was almost as if the pyrotechnics yeah. were trying to trying to sh- shade us from the uh, colour of your language. How would the South Dublin accent uh, differ from that, from that? Well, if I was to read that in a South Dublin accent, it'd be, Ooh, like, man, you always get a deadly scrap in here. Like, last week, me and my mate, right, we saw these two, like, scumbags we know, and we go up to them, straight in with the dirge, like, and bop. I loafed one of them, and then I saw his mate's got my mate on the ground, and he's stamping on his head like mate, so I grabbed this bottle and smashed it right between his fucking eyes. The both of them fucking legged, and I was just, like, laughing, like, right, ha, oh, that's one of those there. See that Sitting at the bar, the poxy little fuck, etc. and so on. Wow, that yeah, sounded kind of Australian there. Yeah, it does a bit. It, <laughs> the, the, the South Dublin accent's a very weird beast. I I spent I lived in Dublin for eight years. Do you want me to tell you? I think it's one of the great pub stories. Uh I once had a pint with Kylie Minogue and Michael Hutchins in a pub in Dublin really? without realising I was speaking to Kylie Minogue and Michael Hutchins. Really? What? 
so years and years ago, uh, I, I was working in a like an American style diner in Dublin city centre as a waiter. So we used to be open till five in the morning. We'd do our clean up after we closed. And by the time we were finished, it would be seven o'clock. And in I, I think you have them in London as well. Uh, there are certain pubs in Dublin that used to, I don't know if they still have, but they used to have a docker's license, which meant they could open at seven in the morning, unlike other pubs, which I think couldn't open till 10 or 11. So I, we used to go to one of these pubs and we were in there drinking one day. Uh, it was back in the days before the smoking ban. Uh, I, I was avec fags, but I didn't have a lighter. So I put a fag in my mouth, saw these two tourists sitting on the other side of the lounge, went across, could I have a light, please? Blah, blah. Uh, so I quickly established they were Australian. Asked them what they were doing in Ireland. They're saying, oh, we're on a bit of a holiday. We're touring around. We're going to this festival called the Fela, uh, which is a rock festival that used to be held in Ireland down in County Tipperary. And so I chatted to them for the duration of a pint. Uh, the bloke bought me a pint. Chatted to them for a duration of a pint. Um, they told me they were going to this festival. And... It, it wasn't until after I had left their company and they had left the pub that it was brought to my attention. I'd been in the company of Michael Hutchins, Kylie Minogue. Not only were they going to the festival, but in excess were headlining the festival. I thought they were a couple of backpackers. And the thing is, I was quite the fan of in excess and I was a, a religious watcher of neighbours at the time. But the fact that it was in Ned Scanlon's pub in Townsend Street in Dublin at seven o'clock on some random Thursday morning, you just don't think you're talking to these people. She was wearing a beret and a big baggy iron jumper. But do you know what? They will have absolutely loved that interaction for the fact that you didn't clock who they were. Because I remember a story that Danny Boy, the comedian, told me. He was in the literally the arse end of nowhere in Scotland and in a in a small bar, small pub, he saw George Best sat at the pub, at the bar. And George Best said to him, just as a regular word, Oh, what are you doing around here? And he said, Oh, I'm staying at this hotel. And it turned out that George Best knew the people who owned the hotel and they had a sort of 15-minute conversation about the, the couple that owned the hotel and why Danny Boy knew the area and why he knew the area. And Danny Boy, could, and he tells this story himself, but he couldn't resist saying, I'm such a huge admirer of you. You're one of my heroes. And it was like the, the his face fell. Mm. It was, oh, like, okay. the, it was yeah, like the yeah. shutters came down. Right. And that I think that would have happened with with Kylie Minogue and Michael Hutchins, if you'd gone up to them and said, can I have a light? Oh my God. <laughs> you know, that would have, they'd have had to leave. That would have ruined their experience of an Irish pub, but they'll have gone away going, oh mate, do you remember when that guy came up to us and asked for a lighter and he didn't even know who he were. Oh, it's so nice. He's just such a nice Irish guy with his beautiful South Dublin accent. <laughs> well, I, I was recommending them things to do, places yeah, to go. Yeah, that's blah, nice. Blah, blah. I, I, I mean, it, it beggars belief, and, and people will think I'm 
bullshitting, but I'm I'm honestly not. I I I had a pint in their company and I did not know it was them. I once saw Nick Faldo from a National Express coach. You know, these things happen. <laughs> Barry, in this pub, in the Moon Underwater, we have a jukebox and we ask every guest to give us their album that they would like to hear playing when they walk into their dream pub or certainly have it on hand to play at any point. What's your choice? So I, when I was very kindly invited on to this, I thought, who would I want working in my pub? My pub will be open from noon till 1am. I think 1am is late enough. Anything later is too late. If if you're not ready to go home at 1, just, you know, go home. You're ready to go home. So my bar shifts are noon till 4. I've got Paul Heaton and Jackie Abbott from the beautiful South are behind the bar. Mm-hmm. I think they'd be brilliant bar staff. Yeah. And it gives them enough time to get to their gigs in the evening. Exactly. And that's very important. 4 p.m. till 9. I've got Adrian Childs, who I, I just adore and is also married to my boss. And also means he can get away with writing such short columns. Those columns <laughs> are fantastic. Oh, they're masterpieces. I know, John, you used to have a Metro column. And I bet in the classic comedian style, you were felt chuffed to get a column and after about two weeks went oh fuck i really wish i didn't have to do this anymore well the, my experience was trying to get 1200 words down to 900 adrian's is trying to bulk up 80 words into 124 did you see his last one was was um they can get man on the moon but why don't my spectacles stay up on my nose <laughs> it was <laughs> great genius the man is a genius there was one, I have 37 wooden spoons. Why? <laughs> I, I, I've, I have sweated bullets yeah. over the years trying yeah. to come up with an idea for a column yeah. where all I had to do was open the top drawer in the <laughs> yeah. kitchen and go, God, I've got quite a lot of wooden spoons. Or maybe I should write 900 words on that. Anyway, so my 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. shift, I was going to go Adrian Childs with either Bob Mortimer or Frank Skinner. Ooh, interesting. Now, Adrian and Frank are very good friends. I know that. They're West Brom buddies. I think they sit in ma- beside each other. Match. And Frank is also uh, teetotal, had drink issues. So I'm not sure how comfortable he'd be working in a pub. But uh, I don't think Adrian would be stern enough to be a pub landlord. I am. I'm also worried Bob Mortimer would all possibly might be his own best customer as well. But anyway, so I'm going to have four to nine Adrian with Bob and or Frank, and then nine p.m. to close is Ali McCoist and Laura Woods from the Talksport Breakfast Show, who have such amazing chemistry. I think they'd be brilliant closers. Isn't that going to mess up their breakfast show ever so slightly if they're finishing at one? No, but they can pack in the breakfast show because I'll be paying them so well from the money I get from my mm. Henri the Fourth brandy. Yes. I can, I can pay them 10 grand a night. <laughs> and and I would also have Bananarama in as lounge girls. Right. Um, For the evening shift. Because I just don't think you can overestimate the importance of friendly funny mm. bar staff yeah it's really important you just it cannot be overestimated mm. uh 
Anyway, and because of Paul Heaton, Jackie Abbott, the album I'm going to put in, and I actually think Jackie Abbott might not be on it, because I think it might be her, before her time. It's Carry On Up The Charts by The Beautiful South. It's a compilation album. People are going to say I'm boring and dreary, but I love The Beautiful South. I love Paul Heaton. I think he's... He used to be a big, a great pub man if he's still. I think he owns a pub somewhere. He famously, on his 60th birthday, put, uh, I think, a grand behind the bar, 60 different pubs around the UK, which was just a lovely gesture. And on that song, or on that compilation album, is Old Red Eyes is Back, which would be one of my Desert Island discs, uh, which is a just a a song that's a testament to pubs, booze, alcoholism, and it contains uh, the lyric, Already died, and every landlord in the district cried, which, for my money, is one of the greatest lyrics ever written. Oh, what a superb choice. There was a really, really good interview with Paul Heaton and Jackie Abbott on Five Live, actually, about and, it, and the, the clip that they put online was about why why they don't let their songs be used in adverts and it was a really good answer that wasn't a sort of holier than thou answer but he was just sort of talking about the relationship with his fans and you know if I'm asking you to pay me 20 quid to come and see me how can I justify doing that if I'm also getting paid you know 400 grand for selling you you know dishwasher fluid or whatever it was just a really a really interesting take on that and very a very genuine response to a question where it's easy to go on you no sell out that kind of stuff they're also very good at keeping their ticket prices down i think they're on bbc news talking about that the tickets for their mm. gigs are very low i feel like the times come round again like in the 90s they, they seemed to be a bit uncool when like Britpop was coming round, but now it's kind of like it feels like now they're actually really good all along. Like the lyrics was just so amazing and stuff, and and the house mind stuff as well is obviously great as well. It's, it's the authenticity of it, and also the melodies. Mm. It's just superb melody, and you know, speaking to that sort of very social experience that people have a bit in the way that Pulp did, where they spoke to, because I think like Blur and Oasis were quite regional in their in their appeal initially and blur really would were, were sort of you know where they were coming from was a quite cool part of camden and you would sort of view it aspirationally as being cool but i think i think uh, you know as the years go by people like pulp and half man half biscuit and um the beautiful south do speak to a sort of perhaps a broader experience of of, of life for most people yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, I, I, as far as I know, Paul Heaton... Now, he, I, I think I read an interview where he said he's he doesn't really drink anymore and he's, he's a mad... He's a cycling fiend. So him and his wife cycle a lot. And whenever he, the muse descends upon him, he and his missus go to Holland, some... Town, I don't know, Rotterdam I, I, <laughs> or anywhere, <laughs> um, Utrecht or, or Eindhoven, or 
And they go on the piss for a week and he writes an album's worth of songs and then he goes back to wherever Sheffield or Hull or London or wherever it is he lives, I don't know. And then they, they get the album going. But yeah, so I'd like that album in. I uh, With apologies to, to Jackie Abbott, who I don't think features on that album. She was a later edition. So basically, can I have an album with every single Beautiful South song ever recorded? You can have a playlist. We've had playlists before. You can have a... You, mm, I'm not sure... Okay, well, I'll, I'll just go with Carry On Up The Charts. I then. think it's got to be Carry On Up The Charts. Okay. And also, with apologies to the Pogues, that was neck and neck. That was a tough decision. I heard a story as well about Paul Heaton. I, I, I have a friend, Christian, who's a very good musician. I think he, he did a tour with Paul Heaton. And in the tour bus, if they passed a pub that looked good, Paul would stop the tour bus and they'd all have to go out and go into the pub. Which I, re- I really like. And he also said he has framed crisp packets in his house. <laughs> <laughs> of crisps he has liked. Barry, speaking of like and loss and love, we need your wild card choice. So this is your final choice for your pub. It could be a drink or it could be anything else though i dare say we're gonna fill this pub up with a few more things before we uh, part ways this evening um but what's your wild card choice um this, uh, sorry i i was worried about this being late because we're all friends here in the moon underwater <laughs> yeah because it's it's something i've got to get emotional about my wild card is, uh, apologies, my dad's slow gin. Oh. Um, I knew this was going to happen. Uh, my dad died last year, a uh, couple of days before Christmas. And this actually is probably as emotional as I've got now he was dead since. <sighs> but. Yeah, he he always said to me, I would regret the amount of time I spent or wasted in pubs. And it was one thing we always disagreed on. He um, he was a big pisshead when he was younger. And then when he got married and had kids, he reined it in. He was a country vet. Uh, anyway, he died last year, but every year he used to make even though he wasn't much of a drinker anymore, he used to make loads of bottles of slow gin and give them away to people as Christmas presents. So you, you pick the slows off the, I think it's the Blackbriar bush. Uh, you wash the slows, you prick them with it, painstakingly prick them all with a cocktail stick. You put them in a bottle, you add sugar, you add gin. You seal and shake. Uh this bottle every seven days for for three months and you leave it in a a cool dark room for i don't know a year and then you decant it through a cloth and i used to watch him do this painstaking process all the time and then you know at christmas when people give each other bottles you know 
people who drop in bottles of wine to our house or bottles of brandy or bottles of whiskey or bottles of gin or whatever. And he'd give people bottles of his slow gin. And I always thought they kind of looked at him and went, oh, what the fuck is this? And, you know, weirdly, last Christmas, people were called to the house to pay their respects. And there was a load of bottles of this slow gin there. So we, we started giving it out. And he would hate the idea of me running a pub. But I think he'd like the idea of Sam slow gin behind the counter. That's so beautiful. And not just the product, but the ritual behind it. And the the gift of giving it to people. Yeah, I'm sorry, I've I've lost it. <laughs> we should have <laughs> done this first. <laughs> if we'd have started the uh, the episode with you in tears, it would have been a very strange intro. But uh, you know, these things mean a great deal. It's actually been the most upset I've been about his death since he died. I've I've honestly barely shed a tear since, but. <laughs> Yeah, that just really got me. So, bottles of Sam's slow gin up behind the bar. Uh, it's a rocket fuel, by the way. <laughs> uh, but it was made but made with love. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it was it was quite weird that... Because uh, he, he died. Like, he died in the early hours. Of, basically, he died on Christmas Eve, which is, you know, it's never a good time for anyone for your dad to die but Christmas Eve was particularly shit uh, but yeah it was quite funny that people were I don't know what it is in England but as a tradition in Ireland loads of people coming around to the, the house to pay the respects and there was loads of these bottles of slow gin there and I went well fuck it we might as well give them out again <laughs> so uh, anyone who's ever had or received a bottle of Sam's slow gin I hope you've enjoyed it and uh, yeah I, I want to be on my bar with his big thick head on the label so would you be reluctant to to part with the slow gin or would you be quite happy to see see the bottles diminishing with the the cheer and the comradeship of people who came into your pub. Oh no, I, I want people to share it. I want people to drink it. I think when he gave it away, he he used to worry people thought he was being tight, and he wasn't tight. He was quite generous. And if you saw the amount of work he put into those uh, bottles of slow gin, it was you know much greater labour of love than just going to the office and buying a bottle of fucking Jemison and giving it to someone. But I always got the impression people were a bit, uh, uh, I don't know. But yeah, so that's that's my um, wild card. Get it up there. Get it. Get an optic under it. Horse it out. Get people drinking Sam Slow Gin. Well, I think it means more than the two million dollar bottle of <laughs> cognac. Ah, uh, let's got. not go mad now, John. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, like you were saying, you you know, your dad didn't necessarily approve of the amount of time you spend in pubs but the fact is it means something to you in the same way that that slow gin meant something to him means something to you now and I'm sure meant something to the people who who drank it and appreciate the work he put into it there is there's a lot of meaning in pubs it's not just about getting hammered 
it's about ritual and it's about tradition and it's about friendship and it's about community and that what you've described there is community yeah well i mean the pub i drink in in brixton is it's all about community but some of my best friends are from that pub it's it's so much more about the booze although the booze is hugely more important as soon as i and finish recording this podcast, I will be going there. And, and there will be, I know for a fact, there will be people there who I, could, I know I'm friends with and can talk to. I just don't happen to know which particular people they will be. And for someone who, when I came to London, I knew two people, two people in the whole of London. What's the population of London? Nine million. I knew two people. And now, you know, it's it's just incredible. And almost all of the fact that, you know, I've, I'm very lucky to have quite a wide network of friends. Mo- almost all of them I've met from being in pubs. And what an incredible resource for chaps like you and I, Barry, who often find ourselves communing with the night. <laughs> 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 I once, I once. There's a my, one of my my favourite authors who Robin introduced me to is called John Burnside, and um, I have no way of ascertaining whether he would mind me saying this, but I'll say it nonetheless. But I emailed him because I found his uh, email address because he's he he's works at a university, and I was talking about his fantastic memoirs, uh, a lie about my father, and waking up in Toy Town, and he he doesn't drink anymore, but he used to drink a lot and that's covered in those books and and I asked him how it was and he did say that uh, though he's very happy now and has a lot of time for his well all his time for his family and his work he said sometimes it calls to me across the night and I thought uh, that really stuck with me I've got to cry again now John but how nice to be able to to sort of share that time with friends even if you know friends you've made in a pub are no less friends than friends you've known for donkey's years or whatever and i think you've really you've really illustrated the importance of what pubs do outside of the booze it's you know it's connections with people can i ask you john um and you i don't i don't know if this is a question you want to answer you often hear i have friends i have colleagues i have acquaintances who've given up drink and they you see them on Twitter and it's like, oh, I haven't had a drink for four years. It's the best thing I ever did. Life is so much better without booze. Do you believe them? Yes, I do, unfortunately. <laughs> no, but I do. And I think it's an incredible thing to do. I think it is. I have so much admiration because I've, I've given up booze for long periods of my life, like over a year and then another period of nine months and it's it is better it's also very different and like Robin will remember a period when I didn't drink I just couldn't really go to the pub for that long so you it's it's not like there are pros and cons to each state but I think alcohol wants you to keep drinking it yeah and and I get that and I want to keep drinking alcohol and I I wrestle with I I probably am an alcoholic, but I have in the past given up booze, you know, for a bit, for a month 
I won 800 quid. I didn't take the money. I just got each of the guilty guys to put 50 quid behind the bar. But if I think if you know there's an end point in sight, it's a lot easier. But I think if I give up booze, I'd have to completely change my life and get totally new set of friends. I'm almost 50. I'm not, I can't make new friends. You know, the friends I have barely hanging on at the moment. Well, you, you would have to totally change your life and you may well have to get new friends, but that doesn't necessarily, that's not necessarily impossible. And people make these changes at 60, 70, 80. But would you rather have to make new friends and be healthier than stick with the friends you've got and the pub lifestyle you have, which you clearly enjoy? I, th- I think I'm going the latter. I mean, it's a very difficult question, I think. Have I gone too deep? No, not at all. I mean, I've, I've cried, so I, I might as well bottom out completely. It's just that thing of I know exactly what I need to do to be have a healthier life. So why can't I make the change? But do you want to make the change? No. <laughs> no, I don't. But like, but that's that is it itself, you know. But I don't want to carry on being unhealthy, and I feel like I am unhealthy. Really, I don't know. No, I'm overweight. I drink too much. I think since the start of this pod, I've probably smoked seven, eight fags. I can see Robin's looking at me, going, "Oh God, I'd love a fag." <laughs> <laughs> well, but the thing is, like, you, you know. Robin was my friend when I drank. Robin was my friend when I stopped drinking. Robin was my friend when I started drinking again. Robin will be my friend no matter what happens. And you have to separate out the friends who are your, like, you know, your core group who, you know, even if even if I did something horrific, I'm pretty sure Rob would come and visit me in prison. And... You know, if you have a large group of friends you've made through pubs, yeah, they they may fall by the wayside and they may have to if you if you want to make a change. But I don't have a single friend in the world who isn't a massive pisshead. Like, not one. Ellis James? I, do, I don't socialise with Ellis. I see him three times a year. Well, he, he speaks about you. Oh, no, I know, I love him you to are bits. I, a mentor. <laughs> but also, he 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 has stopped being quite so much of a laugh since he uh, had kids. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, well, that that happens, everyone. That's what you're skirting around, Barry. No, I'm trying to get you to admit you're an alcoholic. That's all. <laughs> a light-hearted podcast about your favourite pub. <laughs> yeah, I mean this this podcast was going really well until my wild card when I. Yeah. I, I broke down, grieved for the very first time publicly about my dad, and now I'm asking Robbins to admit he's a... Robbins, as opposed to Robin. <laughs> I don't know how much of a booze hound Rob, the lovely Robin is. It is important to be in a sort of dialogue with your relationship with alcohol, you know, and no, no matter how much you drink... If you feel that that relationship is no longer of net benefit to your life, then it's worth trying to address that. And it, it, I wonder, Barry, if you're, if you're attempting to sort of come at that sideways, 
But I'm saying if I give up drinking, I wouldn't have a life. I'd just be at home going, now what do I do? Do I do I go to the gym? I think alcohol is telling you that. I think alcohol is saying that you need me, otherwise you've got nothing. Whereas actually you have a huge amount. If you totted up all the things in your life that weren't related to alcohol, you know, your job, you know, you don't drink in the office. No. People in your office like you. You're very successful at what you do, very well respected. Well, up to a point. (laughs) But we all have foundations on which we can build that aren't necessarily reliant on alcohol. Yeah. I'm I'm not so sure I do. (laughs) Well, it's it's an ongoing conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe for another podcast. Uh, have you got a new series of How Do You Cope coming up anytime soon? <laughs> we do, actually. If Ellis is free. <laughs> well, that's unlikely. He's doing ever so well, isn't he, John? He's do- you, you sounded so much like a sort of Irish mum <laughs> that I'd gone back home and my friend's doing really well. <laughs> He's doing ever so well, isn't he? Why don't you get yourself one of those TV shows? <laughs> So, Barry, we must leave the Johnny Come Fly Be Nightlies now because we want to hear about your dream pub companion. And that is only available to those who subscribe on Patreon. You can head to moonunderpod.com, click through the Patreon link uh, to support this creaky old gal. Rob, hasn't this old gal been creaking a lot recently? Lots of creaking in the night. Creaking in the nuit, as they say sur la mer en France. Um... So if you don't subscribe on Patreon, that is your want and your need and your right. And we'll be back with you very shortly. But for those who do, we're going to find out about Barry's dream pub companion. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
We return now to the Johnny Come Fly Be Nightlies. Hello, everyone. You're welcome back. We had quite a quite an extensive chat about ticket pricing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you really didn't miss much. No, you, you fly sort of, by night. No, well, if you're if you're a fan of ticket pricing chat, uh, then do subscribe <laughs> on Patreon. Ticket chat, my failed comedy career, and Queen. You're barred. Barry, we've got two more bits of business to deal with. I, I'm not sure we're going to get to the furniture. <laughs> but we do need to discuss what's going to be barred. And I think you've got a number of things you want to cover before reaching your main rule. He's opening up Microsoft Excel. <laughs> yeah. No, he's yeah. actually taking a piece of paper that he's had taped to the wall at the moon. Under pe- water. I had a piece of paper. T- Hold on. No, this isn't it. Right, so basically, I have a number of pub grievances. Right. That I had to narrow it down to one. So it's Barry's pub grievances narrowed down to one. Okay. So I have to narrow this down to one pub irritation that I want to not have in my pub. So I've divided it into one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different subsets. Nice. So I've got irritations with staff looking at their phones, avoiding eye contact, not knowing who is next, only uh, doing one order at a time, not remembering orders, uh, staff moaning about the governor or their timetable, nobody cares, and slow service. Now, I've got uh, an, my irritations about when it comes to customers ordering drinks. Criminal offence, get them in the bin, not ordering Guinness first. Mm, yeah. If you're ordering a round of drinks, there's Guinness in it, order the Guinness first. But I mean, I think actually that rebounds on the orderer because you're not going to get as good a pint of Guinness if you've not given them enough time. Well, that's true, yes. But if you're in a London pub, uh, you're probably not going to get a good pint of Guinness anyway. Waving money at the bar staff as you attempt to get served. Uh, people who refer to, to Cronenberg as 1664 out, bar, immediately <laughs> dismissed. Uh, people who don't say please or thank you. Anyone on a work Christmas party and people ordering cocktails in, in a just a bar where other people don't want cocktails. Now, in my pub, I want a pool table, a dartboard. Uh, I also want three tellies and a free jukebox. Pool table etiquette. People who, if there's a woman playing pool, men who go and try to help her. Oh, yes. Unsolicited pool table advice for women. That really... Fucking boils my piss. Also, it's the lamest thing to be good at. As if a woman is going to say, oh my God, I was really struggling with my pool game. <laughs> and this this knight in shining armour came over with this sort of beer belly and his bad breath. He put put his arm on my arse and, and pointed at the cue ball. Yeah, and the, the way he caressed my hips... And was and then when he struck a pool ball, it was just like it was pure poetry. And then I fell in love with him and I married him. Although to be fair, if you were playing pool in a pub and Ronnie O'Sullivan did it to you, you'd love it, I suspect. Yeah, yeah, but we're, I don't think we're talking about Ronnie O'Sullivan being in the pub, are we? Well, no, we're not. No. Okay, more pool. 
people who leave drinks on the rail of the pool table, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's a no-no. People who take pool too seriously, most of the fights I see in my local start as a result of pool disputes. People who bring their own cues, dartboard etiquette. I'm all for I know you're a darts lover, John, but if people are sitting in the flight path, you don't play darts. 100%. Mm. I mean, that's a health and safety issue. You only ask them to move if the pub is empty. You don't want to play darts while people are watching something on telly, uh, if there's a football game on. And people trying to hit doubles and they keep whacking the darts into the backboard. That makes such an annoying noise. It really annoys me. So there is a time and a place for darts in the pub, but, you know, know the time and place. Toilet etiquette. Taking cocaine or having sex in the toilet. Get out of my pub. I agree with you. I have a, I have a question about toilet etiquette. Right. It's something I've thought about quite a lot recently. And I'm going to try and phrase this in a way that is not too unpleasant. <laughs> when you have finished your toilet, you're in a cubicle. Which number are we? To, uh, number two? Yeah, 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 yeah. I would say it's bad preparation from the get-go if you're having to go number twosies in a pub toilet. Are you out of your mind? No. I'm regular as clockwork what? every day. How are you of all people regular as clockwork? No, I'm I I have one first thing every morning. I I mean I am I'm all over the shop. But my question is if you post flush see that there is a cleanup operation necessary in the bowl for the convenience of the next user, I have a certain sympathy for people who don't want to use a toilet brush that looks like it's been dredged out of a swamp. So where is the etiquette on that? I'm not sure this what this has to do with people taking cocaine or having sexual relations in the same cubicle. No, I'm worried I don't want to touch the... Because the toilet brush in a bad pub toilet has got to be the worst area on earth. But I don't want to leave the toilet in a bad state for the next user. I think if you've already sat on the sea, the swampy brush is the least of your worries. Surely the handle of that brush has got to be the worst part of the whole shebang. Just wash your hands after. Yeah. Okay. okay. There's something, have you noticed the, um, the worst kind of most embarrassed expression you can do? You walk into a toilet and you see a queue and then you see it a urinal, and then the guy kind of looks at you and goes, yeah, I, I need a poo, so the urinal's free. That look that look he gives you is is so, so, so shameful, isn't it? Have you ever had to be that person? No, 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 it's never happened. It's never happened to you? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> anyway, carrying on, uh, my next subsection is bores. Uh, and I appreciate I'm probably boring everyone to death with my list of grievances. Uh, Guinness bores, real ale bores, craft air bores, or craft beer bores. I do not want to hear about your fucking wheezy drink with mint and fennel in it. General bores. And then uh, general pub etiquette misdemeanors. 
people watching stuff on their phones out loud unforgivable uh people spending too much time on their phones rude people people who don't bring empties back to the bar from their table 100% and round dodgers so having assessed all these irritations i think my my top 3 is people not bringing empties back to the bar I don't know if you've heard that super tro- or supermarket trolley thing. You can tell a lot about a person by how they deal with their super tro- supermarket trolley in the, the car park after they've put their shopping in the boot of their car. So you're not obliged by law to put your supermarket trolley back in the supermarket trolley place. But as a civilized, decent human being, that's what you should do. But a lot of people don't do that. They just fucking leave it wherever. So, um, yeah, I, I think the same about people who don't bring their empties back to the bar from their table when they're finished. So I'm going with them, round dodgers, who are scum of the earth, obviously. Uh, but I think uh, my number one thing I will not tolerate in my pub is blokes who unsolicited offer to help women play pool in a patronising, sexually harassing way. I think that's such a superb choice. That's a good choice. I do think of all of those subcategories, a lot of them could have have the heading selfishness. Yeah. Yeah. You think, like, selfishness in pubs in all its manifestations. Well, people are selfish. And when people are out having a good time and, and they lose their inhibitions, they're possibly more selfish than usual and maybe it's it if we can send one message from this podcast uh but yeah try try to not be a yeah <laughs> basically I would, yeah the only one thing you've said that i would take slight issue with is the bar staff on their phones because how many times do you check your phone during a day's work about 500 billion trillion billion. Yeah, you, you got me there. You got me there. I mean, I thought, I thought about abolishing phones from the... Like, everyone... I think uh, Bob Dylan played in, in London recently, and I think everyone had to put their phone in at the, the reception on the way in. I think there's a few American comedians have done that as well. And I I think... The mobile phone has has uh, it's ended pub debate. So you can be having an argument about something in the pub, and then someone just goes Google, and that's the end of the debate. And I think, yeah, may I think there's a case to be argued for for everyone leaving their phone on the way in. It's confiscated, and you get it back on the way out. It would also stop me from having quite a few ill-advised late night twitter spats yeah i can understand with a musician or a comedian because it's like they want to be in control of how their art is disseminated and also you know if you're in an audience and you want the the luxury and the joy of a live performance you have to accept that that's not intended to be released and the idea of a comedian maybe trying new material or reacting to something in the crowd you don't want to see that on youtube the next day and you also don't want to have to go through the ball lake of getting it removed but i think in a pub you have to accept that we live in a mobile phone age and it's 
perhaps unreasonable to expect bar staff to forego their phones, certainly in quiet periods of uh, of uh, service. But I agree. I mean, I agree with ninety nine percent of your 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 bugbears. <laughs> Hurry up, please. It's time. Barry, it's been a unique experience. Unique? That that could mean any number of things. Has it been a pleasant experience, John? I mean it in a wholly positive way. It's been it's been brilliant. <laughs> I've loved it. I've loved every second of having you here in the moon underwater. I'm very sorry that I had an emotional breakdown at one point. You absolutely mustn't. I didn't plan it. I had a feeling it might happen. Uh, but, yeah, I, I apologise. But, Barry, I mean, you're among, A, you're amongst friends, and not just me and Robin, but everyone listening, and also people listening to this will have gone through very similar things. And I'm more concerned that this is perhaps the first time you've expressed that feeling for something which everyone would expect to... You know, quite a long period of grief. So you mustn't you mustn't apologise in any way. And I'm delighted uh, to see Sam's slow gin behind your bar. And I wish it could be in my bar. And I wish I could have tasted it as well. Uh, there's probably a couple of bottles somewhere in the house. I'll, I'll dig one out. Well, I will... You know, there is no amount of money I would not give to charity. Oh, it'll be on the house. Oh, well, that's very kind of you. But, Barry, it really genuinely has been... Uh, a pleasure to speak to someone for whom the pub means so much and who takes takes it so seriously and for whom it has given so much. I mean, you know, we've talked about friendship, we've talked about community, we've talked about loss, we've talked about apple sours. <laughs> but we have one small piece of admin before we let you go back into the other realm, and I dare say this nameless pub, which is near a skate park, which opens at two and only takes cash and is near Brixton Academy, which I guess you're <laughs> heading to. It has green tiles on the wall <laughs> and is named after a quite low-rent monarch. <laughs> so what are we going to call this dream pub of yours? Well, I'll be honest, lads. This is the question that absolutely killed me. I couldn't come up with a name and I came I, I I was going to go because I'm kind of inclined to not welcome strangers to this pub the the don't come in inn but I'm I'm filled with a sense of well-being after this long chat so um I'm going to go with the welcome in inn the welcome in all welcome the welcome in Am I right in thinking that this is our second welcome in? Oh, you might be right there. Oh, no. That's not a problem at all, because how many red lions are there in the country? Yeah, fair enough. We can have two welcome ins. And also, I'm glad to see that it's turntables for you in terms of the uh, advertising strategy. Because I think the don't come in may have... (laughs) may, (laughs) May not have survived the pandemic at the very least. Yeah, so don't. <laughs> That's good. Oh, Barry, it's been so much fun, and this is a solemn promise that I want the first time you see the King's Arms on RuPaul Street to be with Robin and I, and we must make that uh, 
We must make that date in the diary very soon because it's best enjoyed in winter time. Right. Well, only if you come to me to a certain pub near a certain skateboard skateboard park in Brixton with green tiles named after a lower rent monarch on a back street that only takes cash and opens at 2pm. Oh, well, it's a double date. <laughs> Let's do it. No, I've had an absolute blast. I, I was really looking forward to this and it's been absolutely delightful and good luck to producer Matt um, whittling this down to seven 45 minute podcasts it's gonna be like the wire i think this <laughs> this episode i think people are gonna be like what was your favorite series of barry glendennings i like this <laughs> i like the second one at the port yeah um well barry we bid you farewell and we send you on your way with the welcome in under your arm for whenever you need it the most i dare say it's not going to be tonight that you need it because you have your uh, blueprint for the welcome in just at your doorstep and uh, please raise a glass to us when you uh, head down there this evening I will indeed lads, cheers thank you, bye 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 on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns